0: Everybody can get themselves uh, settled down. If, uh, we can begin the time for uh, dhamma discussion. So please, um, uh, whatever uh, questions or uh, uh, doubts or uh, issues come up from what I was saying, and then please uh, feel free to ask for some clarification. Yes. Oh, yeah, well, can we use the microphone so people can hear the uh, the questions?
1: You spoke about the contemplation on death today, so I wanted to ask during meditation, how is one to contemplate on death?
0: well a good question i I spoke about quite a number of different things then, so um, a few things I described, so you can. Uh, set the meditation up, saying, "This is the last half hour of my life, the last hour of my life," and then use that—the ringing of the bell. Um, you can use um, just your creative imagination to to uh, think of your own death and uh, to um, uh, reflect upon your body having breathed its last and then breaking up. It's the skin shriveling and the muscles withering away, the organs. Rotting, drying up, the bones uh, being out in the sun, being bleached and turning to dust. Just using your imagination, visualizing in that way. Um, the uh, the range of possibilities is is quite wide. But if you if you want to do that, then it's quite helpful beforehand. Say, okay, well, I'm going to use this time to visualize my death and the breaking up of my body, and just once you've made a, a choice, then just stick with that rather than changing your mind four or five times during the course of the, of the period. Um, but you, you can use many different things. Or you can use um, like the kind of uh, um, suggestions I made about ego death. So imagining being um, hit by a stroke tonight and then um, being disabled and not being able to speak and being paralyzed and then having to um, have everything done for you. And... How you are uh, imagining yourself in that in that situation, and and then how you see what feelings come up in relationship to that, and then as you do that with all of these kinds of visualizations, it's not it's it's easy to kind of get caught in the mechanics of the visualizing, and it's not so much the mechanics of what you visualize, but more you're looking at the the feelings, the emotional responses that rise up within you, and so if you bring something to mind like. You're paralysed, and someone has to be brushing your teeth or, or uh, you know, combing your hair, and you you can't move, you can't move, anything, you can't speak. And then you 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 think of that, and then you, oh, I'd really hate that. Well, then looking at that, oh, I'd really hate that feeling. So that that you're you're using the visualization to rouse that kind of feeling. So, well, uh, what's there, what what's to hate about that? You know, wh- why why is that so? Repellent or or frightening, so that then you can use the reflective process to explore that. Where does that feeling come from? What what's what's so bad about having someone comb my hair for me? Yeah. What's intrinsically wrong with somebody pulling a comb through my hair? Well, not my hair, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't take very long. <laughs> but uh, so that you're you you're using the capacity to to reflect and explore what we call. Uh, Dhamma Vijaya, that kind of investigation, uh, to 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 look at those feelings that come up, and you're not you're not having a particular result in mind, but just exploring those reactions, and then and then also when you challenge that, so all, like you say, well, what's intrinsically wrong or bad with the feeling of somebody put, running a comb through my hair, and then maybe what arises is well, nothing, it's just a feeling, huh. And then seeing that, oh, look, it's the problem is what my mind adds to it. Me me not wanting that, me calling that a problem. If I'm paralyzed, if I'm helpless, then that's a problem. That the, the problematicness is from our attitude. It's not the fact that you can't move. It's not a problem for the universe. <laughs> Obviously, you can come up with different things. Well, I haven't got any carers. and <laughs> But, you know, just imagining that those things are are in place. But just to to be able to see that the mind is the thing that's creating the burdensome or stressful, problematic quality, and that uh, when we we look at it from a a nature-centered point of view, then there's this sense of, oh, well, it's just what it is. There's nothing wrong or bad about it. It's just my mind calls it bad. Therefore, and therefore, it's bad. But if I don't call it bad, then it's just this, huh? And that—that's a, 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 a letting go. So in recognizing that quality, oh look, if it's not created as a problem, it's not a problem, huh? And then just letting that really sink into the heart, and and um, then that becomes a, a cause for your attitude changing, so that when the, those thoughts or fears come up, like, oh, I don't wanna. Be disabled. I don't want to be useless. I want to be able to look after myself. And then you you find that oh well, uh, I don't have to be so afraid of that. That's just uh, the mind creating unnecessary worries. And then there's a there's a liberation in that. You you find you're not so afraid of of circumstances. Yes, there's a hand there. Um, thank you. I, I just would like to know if the meditation on death is suitable for everyone, or if maybe for some people it's better to start with other things before moving on to that sort of contemplations. Well, there's there's no meditation that's absolutely guaranteed suitable for everybody. I mean, if you if you have um, suicidal tendencies, then you know if a person. Uh, has the, those particular issues or problems, then you definitely wouldn't be encouraging meditation on death. You'd, you'd uh, use a different angle of approach, I would. I would suspect. oh so it's um, it's a, a choice up to the individual, or and see what what is appealing or what is uh, what you feel would be be helpful. So it's. Uh, yeah, it's just one of a range of many practices but you know, the Buddha encouraged it because for most people it's something that's useful. But uh, it's it's not guaranteed to get it to be helpful for anyone. It's like not all medicines are, are useful for everyone. You know, some uh, are you know, so maybe generally a helpful tonic for most people, but for some people they might be allergic to it and it causes a terrible reaction. You know, for 95% of people it might be something that's beneficial and. Uh, and genuinely good, and others it's either neutral or dangerous. So you have to you know, explore and find out for yourself. I mean, just in general terms, with Buddhist practice, that's it's very much a teaching of self-reliance. It's not you know apply this formula and you will get this result. It's it's self-reliant in so far as well, it's up to me to try it out and up to me to see whether it works or not, because the teacher or some, you know, authoritative book can say, you know, do this and you will get this result. But if you pay attention to the Buddha's teaching, he never encourages that kind of blind belief. But you pick something up, you try it out, you see, well, what is the result? He's, he's telling me I should be experiencing this, but it's not going that way at all. I find something else altogether. So it's, it's important to have that um that kind of examination, okay, what's the, I'm making this effort, well, what's the result of it? What, what does it bring? Does it make me more peaceful and clear-minded? Does it make me more confused and uptight? You know, what, what's the effect? And then you, you guide your actions and your choices according to the, the effects that you experience.
2: Ajahn, um, a couple of questions, really. Um, one is about approaching our own death without fear. And the second one is um, the right approach to death of friends, close friends and family, and how that can be sort of approached in a sensible way. Thank you.
0: Um, well, there, there's a very lovely... Um, talk of lumpur char is called our real home that's um, included in a few different collections and it's a it's a recording of lumpur char giving advice to a, a, an old woman who was dying he went has gone to her home an old student of his in the village and uh, she was dying and so the family asked him to come in and give a Dhamma talk to her uh, as she approached her death and it's a it's right there, I mean, I, I, I would just say, well, read what Lumpur <laughs> said. Uh, and, uh, you know, she's literally lying on her deathbed, and it's the advice that he gives her. And a lot of it's to do with, with letting go. And say, so all these things that are familiar to you, this building, all these pots and pans, these dishes, they th- you thought that uh, they were yours, but, you know, a long time ago, they were fresh and clean and with, you know, bright white enamel, and now they're all kind of cracked and chipped and, some of them have already got holes in them, and they're out, you know, rusting away in the in the garden. So, your body is the same. You thought it was yours, but now it's falling apart. It's it's cracked and broken, and it's decaying, and and you know, it's uh, just like the the old pots and pans that have decayed and fallen apart. You, know, you no longer think of them as precious or yours. So the body is the same way. It's, it's breaking up. The elements are are dissolving. So, yeah, you know, just as the pots and pans were conventionally yours, so this body was conventionally yours. But you were it was never really your, your true home it wasn't you were n- never really the owner and then uh, uh, he he talks about say the um, the shifting of the attitude to the, to the body and to the family and to the possessions um, in that same kind of way it's like well now it's all leaving everything is going it's it's dissolving, and so that uh, it's, this is the time to be in accord with that and to, to let go as as things break up and and uh, disappear, and so, and particularly with families, uh, you know, your your family are precious to you, but uh, you're leaving. You know, you're leaving them behind, and and so it's important to to the extent that you can to to say goodbye, to to let to let them go, and to not be carrying them around, to not um, be um, uh, creating stress within yourself with you fear and worry about the family, because you know you're 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 leaving now, and there's. Uh, You're not going to be able to help them anymore. They're not your concern anymore, and so there's uh, there's that kind of advice which is both liberating and challenging. uh, Was what what he was uh, giving to this elderly person. So you can basically take all the advice that he gave to her and just apply it to yourself. (laughs) Look around at your things that you think that you own. You know your your house, your job, your your possessions, your family, and think. Well, I think I think of this as mine, but is this my real home? Is, am I really the owner? Or do we just rent this place? Do we just use these things uh, for a period of time? Are we just together for a period of time? And it, it's a reflective process. So, wow, well, these are definitely my kids, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm dad, you know, that's, uh, that's, they are mine. This is, uh, and this is my house. I paid the mortgage, you know, it's all, it's all signed and sealed. And you say, yeah, but <laughs> if the house burns down, is it still your house? You know. Uh, well, the fire didn't pay attention to the, the fact that you owned it, yeah so that um well it's still it's legally mine, even if the house isn't there <laughs> so, but it's uh, it's looking at that feeling of ownership, looking at that feeling of also dependency what i I need to have around or with my belongings or my substance or or what what is uh, is mine, and uh, it's trying to look at that feeling of mindness. And exploring that, and uh, and investigating to see well, do we really own anything? And if something is owned, what is what is it that owns it? What's this me that's supposed to be doing the owning? What is that? How does that really work? Is there really an owner for anything? Well, and then the more that that's looked at and explored with the meditation, then you see well, really everything belongs to nature. Conventionally speaking, you know, your name's on the on the deed. <laughs> you know that uh, conventionally speaking you yeah, know that's my house or you know I'm the owner or I'm the managing director but it's just an a human agreement like uh like on a on a on on the british currency it says you know, i promise to pay the bearer on demand the sum of 20 pounds or 50 pounds it's a, it's an agreement they change the currency that piece of paper is no longer a valid agreement <laughs> it's not worth anything they you know change the notes and, you know, a five pound note from, from, uh, from when I was a kid, you know the blue five pound notes, that uh, they're not valid anymore. So he says, I promise to pay the bearer on uh, on demand the sum of five pounds. Take it to a bank now. They go, sorry mate, <laughs> you can use it to line the bird cage, but it's, yeah, you know, it's, it's just a piece of paper now. So we see how many things if we, to prepare ourselves for death. Then there's that, rec- that sort of recognition or exploring the things that we, that we think are ours or the things that we think we depend on or, or how we've got to have things in order to be happy. And then the more that you, you look at it, the more you challenge yourself, then the more you say, Oh, yeah, I'm, it's okay, well, that can go, and that can go, and that can go, and that can go. And uh, that um, f- freeing the heart from anxiety, not because you don't care or like, well, uh, I, I'm not interested. But that sense of not carrying things around, not carrying people around, not carrying memories of all your achievements or all of your problems, just to be able to say, well, I don't have to carry that around. I don't have to carry around my my impressive CV. I don't have to imp- carry around my list of dark deeds. It's all can be let go of. It's all, it's all leaving, so let it go. And then for other people, uh, relating to others, um, whether they're older, like our parents, or you know, people who are uh, our family or dear ones, or you know, people who are, that are you know, like younger, people who are say children who are sick or who have um, got uh, fatal illnesses and such like, they're just to uh, you know, in a very similar way, just to to recognise. Well, uh, I care about this person, uh, I, you know, and that I do what I can to help them. But whether they come or go is not. Under my control, I'll do what I can to help to make their life better. But it's out of my it's out of my control to make them happy. It's out of my my, my control to to save them or rescue them, make sure that they're all right. We can do our best, but it's it's even it's up to them whether they can um, say uh, be be benefited in the ways that, that you'd like. Yeah. And my, my sister was a nurse for children with leukemia and cancer for about 20 years. And uh, so she lived in the very much in the realm of, of looking after children. Most, most of her patients died. About three quarters didn't make it. And so she lived in that, that domain of having to, to be with families. Often she said that the children were far more okay than the parents and the families were. That they uh, Often it was the kids who were trying to make mom and dad you know, feel all right. Uh, that they, they were in a way more at ease with what was happening. But uh, there was a lot of of despair and the feelings of powerlessness on behalf of the parents, which was you know, very sad. But uh, that, um, that understanding of, well, you, you do everything that you can and you know that if you could do more, you would do more, but if, if you can't do more, then if you create suffering out of that, then there's you know, you've got two be- two beings that are suffering instead of just one. So just trusting that it, you know you're doing what you can to help others, to make things better for them. But it's not within your power to make everything to to make them happy or to free them. So and just in trusting that you know that if you could do more, you would do more. But what you can't do to not create suffering about. And that, that's that's very difficult for us. If you understand what I mean, yeah, you follow. Because was, uh, I always used to feel very guilty about uh, I should be able to do more. I should be able to make that person feel all right. I can't make them happy. And they're not happy, so it's my fault. <laughs> but the more that we, we uh, sort of grow up and, and understand how life works, then you realize, well, you know, I, I know I, I, I would do more if I could, but I, I can't. And I'm doing as much as I can. And the, the rest is out of my control. Like, uh, like my, my sister, looking after the kids, you know, sometimes the cancer was just, it was untreatable. It just wasn't going to stop. There was nothing they could do. And she would recognize, well, we've, we've done everything that we can. If there was more to do, we would do it, but it's it's not within our scope anymore. And so just finding a sense of peace with that, not blaming yourself or not um, creating more negativity or anxiety. but uh, in a way, just okay, well, this is how life goes sometimes, and it's it's not under our control it's and to be able to not to learn how to not create suffering in that situation is it's possible uh and it's a great blessing if you can you can learn that but it's it's not easy to do yes, there's one behind you right behind you.
1: Um, how do we let go? Because sometimes it feels like stuff comes back up as soon as you've let go and it feels like <laughs> let go. So how do you
2: cope with that?
0: Just repeat 10,000 times. Really, I mean, that's a, a kind of a glib answer, but it's, it's true. You just let go, 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 let go. And because uh, of the habits of attachment, clinging is so strong. So it just takes like a, a whole retraining of the of the, the mind, the you know, the whole system. And if we apply ourselves and we make that a priority, just say whenever you find the mind clinging, recognize that, that clinging and let go. And even if you sort of, you're letting go with that hand and you're clinging with that one, oh look, I'm clinging, <laughs> I'm clinging over here and I, okay, let go oh that one's clinging over there, then just you just they make it a priority. You apply the attention and, com- and commitment, and you know, if you if you sustain the application, then over time it, it really changes. But you can't necessarily see the change from one day to the next. Uh, the Buddha gave this example: like a if a, a, a carpenter if a carpenter gets a new saw. Know, that uh, starts to use the saw every day, you can't see any change in the handle of the saw from one day to the next. But after he's been using it for five years, you can see the imprint of the fingers in the handle of the saw Exactly exactly match the, the fingers and the thumb of that carpenter. You know, five years later, the, the imprint is obvious, but from one day to the next, you can't see any change being made. So, uh, uh, and that was the example he was giving to, to say uh, in terms of our minds that he is it's normal not to really able to be able to see any uh, radical change from one day to the next most of the time but then when you look back and you realize oh five years ago I would have been completely swept away by that but yeah and now at least I can say oh look there goes my mind which <laughs> was well, sure, that was impossible for you be just sort of Swept away by the current, without the, without a moment's thought. So just repeat. <laughs> yes, there's another question behind you.
1: Sorry, Ajahn, I have a question, but I think I have to formulate it as I go along, because it's or make it up as I go along, because I'm not quite sure exactly how many questions I'm Trying to get you to answer in one question, <laughs> so I hope you'll forgive me and answer okay. me fully anyway. Um, We've talked about preparing for death, so that's the physical, the physical body. Assuming that when you bring the mind into that, there's a mind-body complex that brings up the emotions of fear of death. Um, So given that, you know, if you try to think outside the box and look at the cause of death, which is, as you said, birth, so rather than preparing for death, look at birth, but we are not born, we do not die, So, we talk about trying to get out of this cycle of birth and death and rebirth, but that doesn't exist either. So, one part, assuming the quick fix would be to get to the death of the ego. Death of the ego, there is no body. I'm assuming death of the mind, the ego, everything that brings up physical, uh, a, a type of physical reality. But if if you let go of the ego, does that let go of rebirth? Does that let go of the cause? So there is no rebirth. There is no. There is no more suffering. I don't know what I'm trying to say. But if there is no more suffering, because there's there's absolutely no ego, there's no personality, there's no thoughts of anything, other than uh, nothing. Sorry. Um, uh, I don't know where I'm going with that, but there's something in there that I can't quite. So say I, I, I kind of think along these lines that I, I'm not here, nobody's here, nothing exists. Yet I'm formulating it because I'm, I'm still the observer. I'm not gone, so I don't think about death, except death of the ego, obviously, mm-hmm. because that's the big, the big hurdle. Um, so if if we were to say, could we look at birth? As a way of preparing for death.
0: No. Well, uh, well uh, if, if, anyway, I, if I, I pick I, out of uh, I'll leave it with you, yeah. if okay. I pick out of that a few strands. So in a way, it's 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 most helpful to look at birth and death. And it, as a principle, and one of the easiest ways of doing that is mindfulness of breathing, watching a breath being born. Yeah. There's uh, the, stil- the stillness of the, of the, the body, uh, and then, then you begin an inhalation. Reaches its peak, and then you breathe out. So right there, there's a birth, a life, and a death. It's born, does its thing, fades away. So if we want to investigate death, and, uh, then just watching the cycles of breathing is uh, a very easy way of seeing our breath being born and. What's it really the difference between a, a breath being born and dying or a thought being born and dying or a body being born and dying? Uh, when there's insight, it's recognized that there isn't any substantial difference between them at all. There's a slight difference in scale, but it's the mind watching a breath coming into being and the mind watching a life coming into being. There's, there isn't really any substantial difference, I would su- suggest. So in that... Uh, and particularly the development of insight meditation, that watching of the changing of cycles, just that that which knows the the, the arising and passing of things is not arising and passing. It's, as Ajahn Chah put it, it's uh, outside of cause and beyond effect, not mere porn. So that it's, uh, it with the development of insight, there's that... In what we call taking refuge in awareness, taking refuge in the, the Buddha mind, so it's able to watch the cycles of, of birth and death without being identified with them. So another another analogy that I like to use in this respect is is uh, the 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 earth and the sun. So we say the sun comes up in the east. No, it doesn't. We spin. The sun stays where it is, effectively. Yeah. I mean, all analogies are partial but let's, for this. For the sake of the analogy, let's just assume the sun is sitting still. Of course, it's moving around at millions of miles an hour, but anyway. So, assume for this analogy that the sun is sitting still. We say the sun rises in the east because the Earth is spinning. Because we, as apparently individual beings sitting on top of this uh, planet, uh, you know, this particular spot, we call it the top this is where we are in New Zealand <laughs> they are uh, they are looking in the opposite direction up is in the opposite direction for them so uh, this is up for us in Britain and that's up for people in New Zealand <laughs> so we are here on this planet at this particular spot and it, the planet is spinning and so from this particular point of view we say the sun rises in the, the east at you know, 6 o'clock in the morning, say, at the moment. And and yet, that rising and then the sun sets at you know, 8 o'clock, 8.30 at night in the west. That's solely because of the spinning of the planet. And our point of view is lodged on the surface of this planet. If you leave the planet and you go and park yourself out in space, you see the sun is sitting still and the earth is, is spinning. That's why... That we we apparently see the sun being born and the sun dying. You know, the, the Egyptian mythology is the whole um, mythical system of the sun, you know, uh, Ra being born and then um, and, and then dying and then being carried along in the ship of the dead, and uh, the the um, the the, uh, the sort of being shipped under the world <laughs> during the night time. The sun is sort of carried along to the east so it can rise again, be born again. So. There isn't The sun isn't really rising and setting, but it really looks like that. I mean, it's a big, bright thing. and it, it looks like it's rising every day very predictably. It's glaringly obvious. It rises. Look, there it is. So in the same way, look, our life. I was born September 1956, Kench Hill Hospital, Tenterden. I've got a certificate to prove it. It yeah. came into being. Now, I don't know when my death day will be, but there's going to be one. Yeah, I don't know whether it's gonna be a Monday or a Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday. Whether it'll have a January death or a June death or a September death or a December death, you know, I don't know. <coughs> but those those markers are like the sun the sunrise and the sunset. They are they're genuine enough, they have a conventional reality, just like the sun rises at six oh three, sets at eight thirty eight, or whatever. Yes, you can Tabulate those numbers, but it's not really rising and setting at all. It's just from this point of view that's meaningful. So in the same way, um, with vipassana meditation, there's a, a, a letting go of that, of self-centred view like I'm experiencing, I'm remembering, this is my feeling, I am hearing, I remember, I want, I hate, I'm afraid. That that's like the the consciousness lock, locked onto the surface of the spinning world, when there's a letting go of that identification and there is a recognition of feeling arises and passes away. Thought arises and passes away. Memory arises and passes away. Memory doesn't have an owner. Thought doesn't have an owner. Feeling doesn't have an owner. This isn't me, this isn't mine, this isn't what I am. Then then that's like leaving the, the surface of the spinning world and letting the mind take its natural vantage point of the sun, as it were. And so, then, from the sun's point of view, it's not rising and setting; it's just present. And then there's little kind of little kind of blue dot spinning around way over there. That's the, we can uh, we can observe the ups and downs of our life and all the successes and failures, praise and criticism, gain and loss. It's just just like little little kind of blob spinning off in the in the in the distance. Oh look, I succeeded. Oh look, I failed. Oh. <laughs> Oh, someone likes me. Oh, look, someone doesn't like me. Okay. So that then those uh, comings and goings, you know, they're sweet flavors, bitter flavors, they're, they're all happening. But the more fully the mind is is liberated, then the more it participates and knows those changes, but is is not tied up to it. So, like you can, if you say the, the vision of things is from the, the position of the sun, and it can clearly see all the all the different interesting things going on, on the, in the world, but it's just, it's, it's not um, burdened by that, it's not stressed by that, it's not limited by that. Yes, there's a question across the other side.
2: I was just going to say, John. I found what you said very powerful. And... Um, at one point, when you were talking, I—I—I've uh, uh, been smoking for sort of over ten years, cigarettes quite heavily, and I was—I was feeling my lungs were a bit tender, and I was getting a few twinges in my chest, and it was so powerful what you said. I thought, oh, maybe I'm going to die, sort of thing, and then it was like I had just that thought, and um, and then I thought oh, I just felt that would be so embarrassing, <laughs> you know. <what laughs> <I think? laughs> just oh be the dear. Mo- just be the most embarrassing thing but it was like the reality of death like being an ever-present reality really hit me with with what you were saying it's but interesting
0: that the ego death of embarrassment is more striking yeah the, i know the yeah. actual dying that like what we might think about a dead body in the in the <laughs> hall on the but that was a good talk maranana sati and someone died you know.
2: <laughs> but death is so taboo in this culture yeah. isn't it it's all kind of hidden away yeah. and and kind of we don't see it you know and, and you've talked a lot about it, and, and I don't know what my question is really, maybe about cultivating a sense of embarrassment or something <laughs> like that, you know?
0: Well, I think just, it's just revealing. Mm. You know, when I, I, uh, I was at Chithurst house many years ago when we were, we were repairing the roof, we had this, um, took the old roof off and, and rebuilt all the timbers that were rotten and had this team of roofers in to, to retile it all. And I was given the job of doing the gutters. I was the gutter snipe. And uh, so uh, I got to learn a lot about gutters uh, in that, during that time. And so the whole house was surrounded by scaffolding. And uh, uh, in th- those years, I was fairly nimble, kind of quite athletic. And so I'll be climbing around in the scaffolding, going from one place to another, you know, doing my guttering things, picking up uh, materials and getting tubes of grease and this and that. And at a certain point, um, I, was, uh, I didn't bother with the ladder a lot of the time. I just sort of go up and down the, the, the framework of it because it was all fairly, fairly straightforward. And there was a certain point where I had this, this uh, little spirit level that I was using all the time. It was about nine inches long, a metal, sort of an aluminum spirit level. And I had it in my right hand. And so I'm, I'm holding on with my left hand. And I'm sort of swinging down to the, to the next level down. I think I was putting in a, putting in a down uh, a down pipe, and so I had the, the spirit level in my right hand, and and I'm thinking, okay, now which uh, which stretch will I will I reach for? And I thought, well, I don't need to bother taking the spirit level out of my hand, because I can just grasp round it onto the the, the scaffolding bar, and I'll just swing down to the to the plank down below me. So, I thought. <coughs> Makes sense? So I, I, I grabbed hold of the, uh, the scaffolding bar with the spirit level in my hand. So you got metal on metal. And I let go with my left hand. And of course, my right hand had no grip at all, swiveled neatly around the scaffolding bar, and I just dropped. As I was plummeting south, <laughs> downwards, the thought in my mind was, I hope no one's watching. <laughs> So, here I am, possibly falling to my death. And the first thought in my mind is, I don't want anyone to see what an idiot I've been. Well, that was really uh, salutary. Right? Just like you, you know, I don't want to die in the, in, in the sala during a dharma talk. That would be really embarrassing. It's like, uh, embarrassment is the least of concerns at this point. This is actually the ending of your life. You know, it's a bit more significant than whether it looks good or not, you know. And, but it, that was really striking to me. It really was. I thought my vanity was more powerful than my, my uh, sort of life preservation. Fortunately, I landed on some bushes. So, so that, uh, and, I, and I looked around quick to see, <laughs> to see if anyone was watching. <laughs> but it was really shocking that, that it was more important to not look like an idiot than, than to die. So, uh, you know, I think uh, we, many of us have been through these kind of situations. And, uh, um, and, but it's just seeing how revealing that is and how that kind of ego death, not wanting to look bad or not wanting to, for things to, to work out in, a, in an undesired way, is more off-putting to us than even the, sort of the, the, uh, the ending of our own life, our own physical danger. I, I got away with just a few scratches. So landed in a nice bouncy bush, but yeah, I fell from the like from the top story. You know. I was level with the up, upper story windows. So it was a good, it was a good drop. <laughs> Thank you. I see we're coming up to four o'clock, so we can call this to a, a close. Good way to. Uh, Come to the ending of things. will pass so in the passing of things is peace. so please go in peace. Okay, go well.